Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey friends, welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. And today joining me is a Hall of Famer, absolute legend, historian. We've had him on the podcast several times, usually recapping majors. But this time I'm proud to have him on after recapping what was a wonderful Indian Wells with uh, super, super great matches all across the board overall on both the men's and women's side and some great energy around the grounds, which I hadn't been seen in years. And I was fortunate enough to go for a couple of days. It was it was an awesome experience. But Steve, how are you today? Good to be with you, Vaj. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really spectacular tournament, both the men's and women's divisions. Maybe the best Indian Wells in a very, very long time. Yep, totally agree with that. And uh, I guess we should start by um, talking a little bit about the women's side in general and uh, kind of the landscape of the WTA as a whole, because um, obviously Elena Rabakina won this tournament um, you know, defeating the world number one and number two back to back in doing so. And, uh, you know, there's been a, a lot of talk in the tennis world lately about, uh, you know, there being potentially an, a new cohort of three players sort of sharing the dominance on the tour a little bit more. Um, you know, last year was kind of like Iga was the head and shoulders above the rest of the field, but now it really feels like since the U.S. Open, especially, that there are three or four players, um, particularly. Iga Sviantek, Irina Sabalenka, uh, Leila Rabakina, and I would even throw in Barbora Krejcikova in there as well, um, contending for for these trophies, specifically on a hard court. Do you, do you see it that way? I do. I'm not sure about Krejcikova being quite up there with the other three, but the case can be made. I can easily see why you would believe that, and I'd like to see that happen. I think the Billy's there. I want to see the consistency in her results and see her stay healthy, and maybe she may well make it quite a foursome, but the other three have just been magnificent. I mean, especially thinking about what Rybakina has done, starting with Wimbledon. And obviously, many of us were a little disappointed that Anz Jabora didn't beat her in the final. It seemed like it was going to be the the moment for Anz, and she loses a really hard-fought match there at Wimbledon. Now Rybakina goes on and reaches the final. The Australian played quite well against Sabalenka, and then here she beats Sriantec, and she beats Sabalenka back-to-back, as you said. So, those three tournaments are just such clear-cut proof of where she is in the women's game right now. And it's fascinating to be, Avaj, to see Sabalenka, we saw, that, that, that got jittery after serve again and served those 10 doubles in the first set. So what can you say? That was a little bit of an uh, sort of an old uh, problem coming back to haunt her again. I think she'll move past it again. It was She got tight in this case, but... Swiatek, I don't know. There's certain types of players at certain times that can 
overwhelm her, overpower her on a given day. And that's what happened with Rebecca in a year. I'm really interested to see because we all thought, I'm sure you did too, that Australia was one thing with the quicker courts for Rebecca to beat Iga. But then to repeat it here when everybody was talking and obviously Medvedev complaining a storm up about how slow those hard courts were. And they clearly are. They didn't look very slow even in the evening air when Rebecca beats Riantek. I mean, she, she made it look like a quick court. She was so effective with her style, with her quick striking styles. I just think there's a lot to look forward to with this trio. Uh, some great matchups and potentially some compelling rivalries. Yeah, certainly um, the Sabalenka Rybakina, the two matches that we've seen so far this year, they've been very compelling for many different reasons. And, you know, 13-11 first set tiebreak. And, you know, Sabalenka with, unfortunately, 10 double faults. It was kind of a little bit reminiscent because, I mean, obviously she hit seven before the tiebreak even started and then three in the tiebreak itself. And, um, you know, it kind of affected a little bit the way she started the second set. Just, oh, yeah. You know, yeah I, I, hangover. And yeah, I was set to lose, you know, with 80, 80 minutes and whoever was going to lose that set was just, yeah, it was going to be brutal. No, I, I think that's a, a slight, a deliberate, slight understatement on your part because those first two games of the second set, uh, you could see that Sabalenka was shell-shocked and distraught and ready, to, almost ready to break into tears at one point. She's a very emotional woman, and I, I like that in her. But you could see that she was so disappointed because obviously one of those three doubles in the tiebreak that, that you just talked about was on set point. It's the last thing you want to do on a set point, make the other girl play. I mean, she would have been better off to throw in a second serve first just to make sure she didn't have that anxiety attack. So, But those first two games of the second set were really what cost Samalinka the match. Mm -hmm. I mean, she she eventually went down two breaks, that one of them back, it wasn't good enough. But I just think that... uh, It's it's understandable in some ways because Rebecca puts everybody under so much pressure. And she, she hits the ball so deep herself. She manages to avoid long rallies for the most part. And she finds her openings and goes to them. And then she has, you know, one of the two or three best first serves in the women's game. So that's yeah. it's a tough combination to beat. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, Rabakina's first serve percentage wasn't super high in this match. And even then, you know, she had to hit so many second serves. And she she really held her own, I thought, in that in that department. And, you know, regarding the service issues, I wonder if, it was uh, Rabakina's aggressive returns and also the wind. I wonder how much of that really played havoc as well. Yeah, I uh, couldn't agree more. That The wind was difficult the whole turn for everybody, yeah. but no doubt it, it compounded the problems of Sabalenka. And then, yes, she could feel that Rebe- she knew that Rabakina was going to take those returns early, the second serve returns, and really, really hit them with authority. And that, that weighs on your mind as well. And, uh, you know, actually, in this case, was a little bit of a reversal from Australia. In this case, she returned better than Sabalenka. There was some role reversals here, and partly it was the conditions. It was. And she was seen, she had played quite well, and it it wasn't super windy when she played Sviantep, but it was windy enough. So she handled the wind well the whole tournament, I thought, and and, and then peaked in the final. This. It was a it was a really terrific conclusion for the women those last couple of rounds. Even though we didn't get necessarily the tightest matches, uh, we 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 got the best players and and we we got 
very high quality tennis on both sides of the net. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm interested to get your thoughts a little bit more on Shiantek. Um, you know, just because you know she's she it she seemed to have rebounded nicely after the Australian Open, obviously picking up a picking up a title. But many of those victories were you know it, it, they were very one sided in terms of you know she wasn't facing a lot of resistance from her opposition. And then you know as soon as she came up against Pritchikova in the Dubai final, or um, you know here against Rubakina. Uh, she didn't really wasn't really able to offer much resistance, and of course, you know she cited the the rib injury being being a factor, and I'm sure it definitely was. But uh, you know, I didn't particularly see anything you know during the match itself that would that would indicate she's she was struggling with anything physical. I I think it was largely mental, and as soon as she, you know she went down an early break and lost that first set, it was five love within a flash in the second, yeah. and just it seemed to just get away from her, and she didn't really have a plan B. I agree with you. Uh, frankly, I don't think that Iga should have brought up the injury. I, I think it it comes off, but she doesn't mean it that way. I'm not saying it's intentional. Comes off as an alibi. Comes off as sour grapes. I agree with you. There wasn't much evidence of it. It just looked to me like she just got thoroughly outplayed and beaten to the punch quickly and early in these rallies. That she didn't play the match on her terms. I wish she would have given a bit more credit to her opponent, but. It has to be worrisome for you that there are a few players out there like Pachinkova, uh, you know, like Rybakina, that can take take it out of her hands a bit. I don't mean totally take the racket out of her hands, but they can they can rush her out of these matches. And in this case, it would happen on, on a, 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 the slowest of hard courts. That has to be a concern. I obviously think she thought she was going to get revenge. I don't mean in a personal, bitter way. But she did, you know, the pride is there, and she surely thought it surely was frustrating as she looked back because she probably believed going into the Australian Open that it would be her tournament. And I, and that didn't happen. And here was the chance to sort of set the record straight and prove that she's the best in the world. And now there, there's, there's some doubts again, as there were uh, between after she won the French Open last year up until the U.S. Open was a bit shaken. and the U.S. Open was a very important win for her to take a second slam title in the season. But again, at the end of the year, she took it on the chin a few times, too. We saw that. And so she's not, despite that big 37-match winning streak a year ago, she's not dominating the sport. I don't know if she's ever going to have that kind of a grip on it again. She will be right in the thick of things. And, and there's certain types of players in certain tournaments where she will come through confidently. But boy, there's certain matches, certain matchups that present that are really problematic for her right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how she does in Miami and, you know, potential quarterfinal with Rubakina as well. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if we get that rematch. And if the result- I hope we do. I hope we do because to see her player again that soon would be fascinating because especially if she's in the tournament. I mean, if this injury is, is, is serious... Then she maybe she doesn't even make the quarterfinals. We'll see what happens. But I, I, if she's in the quarters and looking good up until the quarters, I, I, I can't imagine that that rib injury is that serious, and therefore that the the immediate rematch would be really a a, a great to see. For sure, yeah. A couple of other players I wanted who were in the latter rounds that I wanted to get your take on. Uh, one of one of which is Maria Sakari. Obviously, we know the. Um, we know what a great player she is, you know, been in the top eight, top 10 for, for three years in a row now, you know, um, you know, been to the, been to the finals of Indian Wells last year, Guadalajara as well, a little disappointing in the slams. Um, and, you know, she, 
I, I thought it was a good mental effort on her part to get to the semis here, particularly the match against Kovitova, where she was in danger of going down double break in that second set. And also yeah. all of our other matches throughout the whole tournament, always coming back from a breakdown in the third or right. you know, a set down you know, several times. Shelby Rogers had her up a set and a break. So matches like that do impress me, but then it feels like every single time she gets to the latter rounds, you know, semis and particularly in the semifinal stage where it just, uh, you know, she comes up and she kind of hits that ceiling. And, you know, we saw it again against Sabalenka. It was a great performance by her, but, um, you know, it's got to be weighing on her now quite a bit, I think, uh, mentally. And also, I just think tactically, you know, she has a very flat backhand. And I just think, you know, sometimes I wish she developed her slice a little bit more. So I feel like that could be that could be effective for her in defense. Just give her a little bit more options, you know, something something else for the opponent to really think about and when she's constructing her points because obviously she's one of the most physical players around. And you know, Sabalenka really out physical her in that match. Oh, thoroughly, thoroughly. No, I agree about the slice backhand. I'd also like to see some serious work put into her serve. She's got a good serve. She really needs more free points off that serve because yeah. if that were the case you wouldn't see three setters every round and having to go down to the wire every round like she did here and that takes its toll and then that could be part of the reason if it had only been the commit of a match maybe she's fresher for that semi-final but yeah i'm concerned about it because it seems to catch up to her in the latter stages of so many tournaments and i just wonder if it would be different if we you know if she could serve a little bit the serve became more of a weapon and she started winning matches, more matches, three and three, three and four, you know, efficient at matches that don't tax her too much and leave, leave her with more energy for the latter rounds. But yes, it isn't just one type of player that's beating her either. Mm. Uh, I mean, she's such, she's so much fun to watch and she's got it. She's got a lot of charisma out there and she's got her followers with good reason. But yeah, this has been a pattern. And it doesn't seem to be changing right now. So something has to change, I think, in her game. And I would say, agree with you on the slice back, and that's an easy change to make. The serve, more difficult, but doable. And I hope she really goes to work on that. Obviously, she's not a, she doesn't have the height of some of the other players. She's not as tall, but that doesn't mean she can't serve bigger. Uh, she definitely can. Yeah. And I've seen her serve, I've seen her serve big when she's down in the score, and she has to get a few free points and, you know, get back into yeah. And I just wish she'd start matches off like that. And, you know, maybe maybe that would just relieve a lot of the pressure that she's under in these tight situations because I just think she gets so tense and so nervous and you can just kind of see it in her face. It's, you know, it, it becomes really obvious for for the Yeah, it does. But she, can't, she just can't allow herself to think, though, when I'm down, I'll throw in a big serve and that it's good enough. It's got to be consistently there. She wants to be able to win two or three free points a game if possible. And then put all the physical work into breaking serve. Save all the running for that. But if you can get through some service games in a minute and a half, which some players can do with three, four swings of the racket, that can that can make a real difference. Yeah, for sure. And of course, the other quarterfinalist quarter was, was Coco Goff, who is still uh, you know extremely young, 19 years of age, done quite a bit already. She's um, winning a lot of the matches she's supposed to win. But you know, just like Sakurai, gets into these quarterfinal rounds and I guess fourth rounds and majors and you know occasionally a couple of semifinals and you know runs into a top ten player and then um, you know tends to lose pretty comprehensively and most of the time it's the forehand that really just lets her down in these big moments and I wonder if Coco and her team really have to go back to the drawing board and 
figure out, do some, you know, go back in the garage, kind of like how Sabalenka did during the offseason this year and see, you know, what needs to be done technically because, you know, the backswing seems too big. The grip is obviously very extreme. And, you know, we commentators point out these things all the time. But but also, you know, I wonder if it's even a risk worth taking because she's so well established right now in the top 10 that she'd inevitably have to take a step or two back in order to make these technical improvements. And, you know, that could affect her results in the short to medium term. But I wonder if it's something long term because it's going to be tough to win a slam, even on clay with that forehand. Yeah, no, at this level, you at this level, you, you can't get away with it. And, and the coaches and commentators have been talking about this really even since before she got to the French Open final a year ago, it may be going back a couple of years. Trouble is, when you make a, a major final like that and you succeed on this level, it can be deceiving. You know, you don't deliberately deceive yourself, but you're thinking, well, look look how I'm doing it, and and I don't know how she feels about it, or her father, or coaching staff. It seems like there's some ambivalence about it, but it's so clear that that's the weakness of their game. The other players know it. They gun for it. They break it down. Yeah, I, you might be right. I think you're probably right about the backswing, uh, but it just needs a, a really keen coach's eye. And, you know, a couple, a, a period of a couple of weeks, maybe skip a full out of it tournament prior and a, somewhere along the line here. Maybe, you know, play to overplay on the clay and take the time to restructure the stroke. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sweeping, sweeping change, but they've got to do something so that it becomes a, a much more solid stroke. I mean, uh, uh, of all the players out or near the top, that's probably the most glaring weakness that you could find in yeah. any of them. And they, and therefore, the the opposition just breaks it down time and again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I mean that that that's definitely something for her and her team to consider moving forward. Um, you know, still still a top eight player, of course, but um, also it was yeah, a pretty good I- tournament. Or, sorry, go ahead. No, she's not satisfied with top eight. We know that. I mean, yeah. it, and it, it's a tough reputation to build. It's hard to live up to those high aspirations. But that's what she's after, and that's what she's capable of. And there's no reason not to sacrifice just a little bit bunch of the short term yeah. for the betterment of the long term. And I don't even mean just sort of wrecking her 2000, her 2023 season. I just mean a little chunk of time maybe – uh, at the beginning of this clay court circuit now, or if it's not going to be done then, then it's got to be done post Wimbledon because there won't be any other blocks. But it could, but you take the time and you really, you almost, you do, you do almost nothing but hit forehands and, and really, and really hone in almost entirely on that shot because we know she's got a, a awfully good two hander, a very good burst serve. She's not double folding the way she did a while back. There are there are real strides in other areas. So if she can if she can make at least make the forehand less of a weakness, that's a start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know what other takeaways from the women's side? I mean, there was a, a good tournament from Emma Raducanu, getting two top twenty wins and playing Shiontek tight for you know about half a set or more right. in that. Right. And it was uh, it was just good to see her because you know coming into the tournament you know with concerns so obviously she had tonsillitis but also concerns over her wrist i really wasn't expecting anything and so for her to get to the fourth round was a was a pretty big good result and a huge step in the right direction i think yeah very good first set against beyond tech you're right it by the by after three two it wasn't quite the same but 
she gave her something to think about up until then, and I think impressed everyone with her level of play and her forehand. So I just feel like, yeah, Emma's on the right track. Let's see what she does in Miami. Yeah. But that was, that was a good step. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, she is playing Bianca Andreescu in the first uh, no, I understand. I understand, but that's another opportunity for her as it is for Bianca because yeah. not too much pressure, actually not on either one of them, but especially on, uh, you know, Radicata. There's just not a lot of, that that would be such a good win for her right now. Frankly, I think she's got a shot there. You never know with Andreescu. She, play, she played awfully well. In Indian Wells, but I I I think that's a match that Raducanu's got a maybe a forty forty five percent chance to win. Yeah, for sure, it'll be interesting to see because the winner of that will play Sakari as well, and yeah, plenty of plenty of good first round matches in Miami. But I guess let's shift gears and let's talk about Carlos Alcaraz. You know, wins the entire tournament without dropping a set. You know, youngest ever to win Indian Wells in Miami, and you know you can reel off five or ten other ridiculous stats, but really what impressed me so much, Steve, about this tournament and uh, obviously his whole, you know, last one month coming back from injury, making the two finals in South America and then, you know, coming so close against Cam Nori even despite the injury uh, and, you know, having very little time in preparation before Indian Wells to then play the tournament that he plays and beating Medvedev in the final. Uh, really, I thought I saw, I thought I saw a much more patient version of Alcaraz but he was still able to keep what makes him so great, you know, with the explosiveness and the speed and the combination of the touch and the power and just exhilarating brand of tennis. And he was able to just, you know, bottle it all all at once for solid 10 days. And really, I mean, the, some of the worst tennis he played would have probably been for three or four games against Sinner in the first set. And he still managed to win that. So it's a really, really big achievement, I think. And, uh, you know, frankly, I think he's probably the favorite to do the sunshine double. I, I, I don't really see many things stopping him from winning Miami as well. Now he's the favorite. I, I agree with that assessment. I I wouldn't be too hard on him for the laps against Sinner. He's up four two. It's true. You figure with four two two holds, he's got the set. It was a it was a very sh- shaky three games when he won one point, and but still when he when he had to answer the call, yeah, and the tiebreak, it was it was phenomenal. Well, but he, and the set point saved as well. The drop shot. Well, yeah, four. But first four five fifteen thirty. He then. Five, six set point down. So those were those were clutch holds for him just to get to the tiebreak. And then the way he closed out the breaker from four points all. Yeah, that that was reminiscent of the best Carlos that we saw a year ago. It, this time from last year, when he went on his best tear of the year from the semis of Indian Wells to winning Miami to winning Madrid. You know, uh that that was really the best we saw from all season long, with possible exception to the US Open, which was like gritty performances. But no, I would. I agree with you. There was more consistency. Uh, I particularly liked. We can talk about the final in a minute because I was a little puzzled by Medvedev's performance. But, but FAA, the FAA match, I thought Carlos was very disciplined, and his return serve was excellent. And he was just way too good from the baseline for Felix, and only lost his serve once, and that was early in the second. At, it was, I, I love the way he played that match. He really controlled the tempo and frustrated Felix. It was windy, and he handled the wind much better. And then the center match, yes, there was that difficult stretch, but he gets through the first set and plays a nearly flawless second set. So I feel like he, he, he gave himself all that confidence coming into the final, and that was tough luck on center because on the set point, Carlos hit a drop shot that was 
good, not not his very best. And Sinner got there pretty well, pretty quickly, and had options to maybe go cross court or at least go low down the line. Well, he went up down the line with R two I. It was very easy for uh, it was it was easy for Carlos to just cut across and put the Borean volley into the open court. That was such a big point. But listen, I I feel like and then in the final, of course. Akbar has never even faced a break point against Medvedev in the two sets. Won eighty-one percent of his first serve points. He was devastating on backing up in the serve. It wasn't there was some serving and volleying. He he had no doubt Daniel off balance and confused, and and Daniel didn't really know what was coming next. But in turn, we saw from Medvedev one of the most, to me, one of the most perplexing performances I've seen from him in a long time. I mean, this is a guy that that Alcaraz calls called prior to the final a wall yep he's a wall and that's how we think of him and to get through that wall he, normally you're gonna have to do what Novak does and be willing to, to rally with him for 36 38 strokes at many many 24 26 28 stroke rallies but it's going to be long strenuous hard work and Daniel's going to keep the ball deep and he's going to deliberately prolong the rallies and he has that great margin for error off both sides despite being a flat ball hitter he knows how to clear the net by a healthy margin and just not make mistakes. But here, in so many ways against Carlos, and it has partially to do with what you said about Carlos's improved patience himself. He was showing that he wasn't going to miss much and he was still going to stay aggressive. But Medvedev, inexplicably, never seemed to try to prolong the rallies and, and turn it into that kind of a contest, which is more on his terms. Perhaps it was the win. He said after the match he didn't know exactly what it was, whether it was Carlos's ball or whether it was the win. Maybe it was a combination of the two, but he didn't play uh, Medvedevian tennis, if I can put it that way. He didn't play the kind of, I will not miss a ball and I dare you to stay out with here with me all day long kind of tennis. He was actually quite impatient. And then, yeah. even, even after Medvedev bunch climbed back in the... He, he made the first set respectable after a very bad start. Carlos raced to a three-love lead. Carlos was terrific in that first set, and that one break counted. But when Medvedev had a couple of three holes after going down three-love, and the last two holes were very easy ones, and I thought, okay, let's see how he starts this second set to see if he can sort of get his teeth into this contest. He made three pretty bad errors in a row, followed by a feeble double fault in the net to give Alcaraz the immediate break for one love in the second set. I don't think he ever really recovered from that. It was, it, it was a, to me, it was a disappointing match from his side of that. I thought Alcaraz was inventive and smart, and the serving and volleying selectively was great, and the, the combination of power and consistency was all there. You know, taking the back end down the line when he needed to, he, he had it all working for him. But I didn't think he was pushed that much. As strange as he was, I mean, you would you would not have thought that was Medvedev on the other side of the net. And and uh, I, maybe everything caught, maybe it was that Daniel was going for his fourth title in a row and he won 19 matches in a row and and he had all that mid-tournament bickering about the conditions being too slow and this isn't like a hard court and I'm a hard court specialist and yeah. he escapes against Zarev, which was fortunate. But then I thought after that he got going. And when he came out of the Zarev match and beat Davidovich Fokina, and then comes through a nice semi with Tiafo, despite having all that difficulty and Tiafo saving seven match points in the second set, late in the second set. Still thought it was a very good performance from Medvedev, who's, 
who had the mental toughness to get to the tie break despite all the scare that he had going into it. And I just thought he was going to play a lot better. If he had, it might not have been good enough. This Carlos was in great form. I'm not saying that I think that Medvedev would have necessarily won, but we should have seen a much tighter contest. Would, would you agree? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, you know, I was going into the match expecting Carlos to win, but in a very close match, you know. I was expecting it to be tight and hard-fought. Yeah. I was expecting Daniel to, you know, play his normal patient game, you know, and go for the offense at the right moments. And he just was struggling to create from the back of the court at all. And his serve was completely neutralized. He had zero aces, um, you know, which hasn't happened to him in, in like since 2020. And yeah, it was... Well, zero aces, and he doesn't even get to break point on Carlos's serve. And he, and he, yeah. Even on his own serve there, the way he would play this was Carlos returned very well. I give him a lot of credit for getting so many deep returns back in the play. But Daniel just didn't seem willing to work the points. Yeah. And, and, and so he... He kind of played into Carlos's hands, and Carlos was more than happy to keep setting the agenda, dictating dictating the tempo. And, and listen, he was going to be hard to beat under any circumstances, but I think the whole flavor of the match would have been very different if, if Carlos had been pressed more, and then we would have, at least we would have seen him face a little tension. That never really happened uh, no. because, you know, he just totally outclassed Mepinev on this occasion. It'll be interesting. You know what I find interesting, Manch, is that I can't wait to see these two play again, and, and, and certainly hard for it. Because on clay, I would give out for us a clear edge. It's just not Medvedev's surface. At this point, we haven't seen – I don't see the evidence that he beats Carlos on clay. But I want to see them meet again on a hard court soon or maybe even at Wimbledon to see if Medvedev learned anything from this if, or yeah. if that puts definite doubts into his mind. Because it's an important rivalry for both of them. Very important rivalry. That conceivably, they're going to play a lot of big matches in the next couple of years. And obviously, Novak's going to be in there with them. And that those those contests are awfully important. And I, I, I don't think Medvedev ever envisioned that he could go, could lose this final three and two so, so routinely. Yeah. Despite it being the worst court for him and still getting to the final. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting yeah. to see if they play on a faster hard court, you know. Yeah, but even, I think even Miami, I think, will be will be interesting. Hopefully, you know, we can see them square off in the final there. And yeah, that would be nice. But I, what I'm saying is, okay, it's still hardcore though. Maybe the worst hardcore. Bro. By the time he beat Tiafo, and it could well have been a five and three match rather than five and six, because that's when he had the first yeah. three match point. 
I thought he was looking. I, I thought we saw some vintage Medvedev, especially up till five three of the second set. Some of those forehand passing cool. shots were just magnificent, and he wasn't missing at all. And then, and the announcers were even. I remember Jim Courier around the air talking, asking his fellow announcers, "You know, can anybody beat Medvedev when he's playing like this?" You know, he was that impressed at that point. And I just feel like, sure, it's it's not. It, it would have been. He would have been proud of himself for winning on a court that he didn't really like. But he's in the finals at this point. So seemingly he's put all that behind him. Uh, He certainly likes play less than he likes the slow, hard courts of Indian Wells. One would think. So it does make you a little concerned for how well he's going to do from Monte Carlo through Roland Garros. That's also going to be interesting to see if Medvedev can can do better on the clay than, than usual. Yeah, I'm interested to see that as well because we haven't seen him play a full clay season since 2019. True. You know, true. He's had the hernia thing, and then before that, he had COVID. And yeah, the hernia, that's right. Out. The hernia was a big problem last year. I agree, but I'm saying that even I don't know whether the more the extra tournaments are going to necessarily help. They could they yeah. could make matters worse if he's he needs to sort of get off to a decent start in Monte Carlo and try to be in a quarter mm-hmm. or a semi there at least to yeah. build a little confidence. Because if he starts losing early right off the bat, there it, it could carry over to the. And I have no doubt in my mind the way that he played through the stretch that regardless of what happens on the clay, once once we get back onto the, the grass and the hard courts through the summer in the USO, we'll see the best of Medvedev again. But in the short term, I'm a little concerned about how how well he's going to fare on the clay, he, 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 even if it is a full season. Yeah. Do you find do you find Medvedev to be pretty entertaining? You know, and particularly in the interviews after the matches and press conferences and. The way he's so like honest and revealing, and that side of him is very refreshing to see. And then you couple that with, you know, his some of his quotes on court and things like that, and just like you know, what an enigma sometimes in terms of personality. Oh, completely, completely. Because he can, I mean, to be complaining to the umpire that this is not this is not a really this is not a hard court, yeah, you know, hard court specialist. He can be very irrational on the court sometimes, also vet venting too much with his team, which he has not been doing through this recent stretch during the winning streak and even through India well, not too much bickering with them. Mm-hmm. But no, as far as the off-court Medvedev, the post-match Medvedev, the interview room or the tennis channel interviews or whatever he's doing, he's extremely entertaining. And it is the candor. You said the honesty. He's candid. He, tell, he really tells you what he thinks, which is why I was fascinated by his post-match comment after the Alcaraz match where said he didn't know if it was Alcaraz's ball or if it was the wind or he couldn't put his finger on what had gone wrong. But I, I, I believe that was honest too. And then they'll, they'll go back to the tapes and they'll, he and his coach will really try, they'll try to figure this out. They should, uh, they should get some more clues by looking at it on tape. But no, he's, he's very likable off the court, not always on the court and uh, not when he, not when he's sort of snarling and surly and he, that can happen. But when the match is over, you know he's sporting. He was very nice in the presentation ceremony, and yeah, and the the can the candor is very impressive. Uh, you say refreshing. I would agree with that because most players are understandably a little more guarded. They don't want to give too much away. He just sort of tells you exactly exactly what he thinks. Yeah. He admitted he admitted how tight he got when he uh, tried to close out Tiafo because the first three match points were. We're at five three. Okay, that's on Francis' serve. But then he serves to the match and gets broken. And he serves to the match a second time, 
at 6'5". It has 40 love and four more match points. And he admitted that he was nervous. He admitted that he was what he was thinking, how he was thinking, you know, you, you, this may not be very good for you, obviously conceding that dark thoughts were going through his mind, obviously, and he, he put them out of his mind. But I like the fact that he acknowledged that because most players will not necessarily do that. So he, he can be very good for the game in that respect. And I, I hope that what will happen is if you maintain this demeanor, Raj, on the court too, of trying to be, not reveal too much of his emotions and just get out of the match and don't play the martyr, don't play the victim. Don't complain to your coach if you got a, you know, an unlucky break at an inopportune time. And that's largely what he's done from the time he started the winning streak right up to losing out for Brass in the final of Indian Wells. So there's some very good signs for, for Medvedev. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of other players that, I mean, this is a match I really enjoyed watching, which was Fritz against center in the quarterfinals. I, I enjoyed that match so much. The the ball striking, the way these players were hitting the ball, 85, 90 miles per hour on both on both sides uh, at, you know, in such devastating wins too. Like it was... It was just uh, it was just amazing, and obviously we know Sinner. He won all the longer rallies, like twenty-seven to nine, I think, was the final count there. Yeah, yeah. All those above nine shots, and and then you know Fritz really did so well to win that second set, and he really upped his serving, and then they had a really tight third set, and it was just it was a good title defense, I thought overall for Fritz, even though he moves down from five to ten in the world, and for Sinner, he's really uh, showing that he's one of the best players this year, and his ranking is only going to go up. And I'm interested to see how many more, you know, if he can start producing at this level and win some of the more bigger titles, obviously. Because we know he's made the Masters 1000 final in Miami and starting to reverse a few more of those head-to-heads a little bit, got the win over Tsitsipas in Rotterdam and, you know, picked up this other top five win over Fritz. So interested to see if that continues and what the next match against Alcaraz would look like. Well, that'll be important too because we haven't seen them since the Open and that, that epic five center, five hours, 15 minutes, Alcaraz winning from match point down in the four set, wins it in five from a breakdown in the fifth. No, I mean, just to try to cover your ground here, I think, I thought it was very entertaining tennis against Fritz. And I agree. And Fritz is definitely proving that he belongs in the top 10, whether it's whether it should be five, seven, or 10, we don't know. He'll probably bounce around in that territory. I, I, but I did feel you alluded to the key stat that the fact that he's losing three quarters of the points that go nine strokes or more, you could feel it all the way through. And it was going to be hard to avoid those. That's a lot of points going that many strokes. And Sinner just, you just felt like he'd get in a rhythm. The lower the rallying went, the better off he was going to be. So didn't surprise me that he won in the end. What surprised me more was actually how Fritz managed to sort of grab the second set, getting a break at the very end of the set. Yeah. And, you know, a little fluctuation at the beginning of the third, then he breaks back and they're all the way to four all, and finally he loses. So I, I thought he did very well to keep it that close, given that, to me, Sinner looked like the, like the, definitely looked like the better player. So listen, it was the good defense. He played well to get to the quarters. And I think Taylor would do okay on the clay, and he could do quite well at Wimbledon again uh, when they get back on the grass. So he, he, he's going to be fine. And as far as Sinner's concerned, yeah, you pointed out, yeah, he's been in the final. I mean, it's time for him to sort of – this was tough luck. He, had a, he was on the same half of the draw as Carlos, and he did the best he could. He's still in the semis. 
I hope, uh, I think we'll see very good things from him on the clay, by the way. There's nothing wrong with him on clay whatsoever. Even though you think of him as a, as being better on hard because he's one of the biggest hitters on the tour. So I'm encouraged about him. I think this loss stung. He'll be upset that he didn't get the first set, which was going to be critical was more critical for him than it was for Carlos, in my view. I yeah. could have seen Carlos coming back from a set that I didn't ever feel like Sinner would. Yeah. Not that he was hitting his head or negative, but just that Carlos is such a great front runner. I didn't see how Sinner was going to escape once that tight first set got away. But I, I do feel like he is a candidate to finish the year in the top five. I, I think if he's playing to his full ability... You know, by the end of the year, we'll we'll have Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Sinner. That would be my top five if I had to call it now. And maybe Sinner ahead of Tsitsipas. But I expect him to be in that territory if he plays the way I believe he can. Yeah, uh, and another player in his age group, obviously Holger Runa. Um, you know, not been kind of an up and down start for him this year. Um, you know, overall, obviously a couple of injuries and. You know, still had the you know the cramping issue in Acapulco as well, and then this this match against Stan. I mean, obviously you can trace it back to the row that they had in in Paris, where you know Stan had those two match points, and he missed those returns, and then he told Holger at the net, uh, you know, my advice to you is to you know stop being a crybaby or you know something to that effect. And then after this match, you know, Holger yeah. kind of reinitiated that whole thing again. And you know, what what are your thoughts on him, just kind of as a character, or just like where you see his game, you know? Well, I like, hope that Patrick Mortaga, I hope his coach Patrick would get out his case a little bit about that and tell him, listen, you lost, you beat him there and he made a comment and, and he's a veteran and you, you were not. Yeah. So you let it go. Don't be coming back to him now after he's now beaten you and making a wisecrack remark. That's not in your interest. It's not going to help you. It's only going to get in your way. That's what, that's my feeling. It's strange because he, he, he's got some commendable qualities. Terrific player, terrific competitor. In fact, I, I, he would be the next most likely top five candidate for me if it's not Sinner to break in there. He would be, it would be Holgeruna. But he's got, he needs to grow up. That was unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. And he actually was a little bit lucky that this match was even close. Because Stan's at match point at that in 5-3. I mean, he should have, this should have been Stan's match at easily and straight and Stan then had to fight hard to win it in the third instead uh I I don't understand the idea of of trash talking your opponent after you after you've lost to him and yeah that that's something that needs to change but it was definitely on his mind for the last five months you know you can definitely tell it was on his mind and he really thought about it and then then yeah right as they were That's that's all the more reason to edit yourself and say no maybe it's better I let it go and you vent to your coach, but you don't say it to your opponent who has beaten you because he's getting a reputation. At least that's what I'm hearing. Bad that's, what Stan, that's what Stan said after the match as well. That yeah, yeah. reputation in the locker room that he would regret. Yeah, well, but like who that. needs that? It's hard enough to beat these guys without, you know, your guy without being a kind of a reviled figure in the game. The people yeah. and they don't respect you. That, that's that's not way that that's bad karma. You don't need that. So I I hope for his sake that he'll and and he's got people around him that can that can guide him in this area and make him understand that that's not in his best interest. Because he's such a dynamic player. He's so good off the ground. I mean, I think he's going to get a lot better. And this he, he you know he can put losses like this one to stand behind him and hurry and get on a good roll again. But I I hope there won't be any more moments like. 
the one he had with Stan after the match. I hope that that I hope that's done. Yeah, for sure. And then of course it was good to see Felix back in the quarters and pulled the amazing match against Tommy Paul. See those six match yeah. points really had no business coming through and you know, five of those six were really all credit Felix, I would say. So that that was Yeah, they were. And and both times he was triple match point down. First at left forty on serve to get to the breaker and then to be six three down in the breaker. So that, that's what made it so astounding to me. Uh, it's hard enough to sort of climb out of isolated match points or maybe even a 40-15 or a 15-40, but up 40, that's 3-6 in the tie break. Very, very, very good effort. And I agree. Five of the six. He was lucky on one. One back end. This hits. Shank somehow stayed in the court. Cross court back end. And then elicited an error from Tommy, understandably. But otherwise, yeah, he hurt them all. Yeah. And... Uh, it, it, it was an important win for him despite losing the first time to Carlos. Uh, so I feel like, I feel like uh, FAA is sort of on the way back. And he, we know he could play great tennis on clay too. He did last year. He had the five-setter with Rapid Roland Garros. Very good match with Novak earlier in the clay court season. So I feel like, he, I, I hope we're going to see him come back to the form that won three tournaments in a row last fall. Granted, that was a hot streak at the end of the year, but nonetheless, I want to see Felix back at his best again. This was much closer to his best. Yeah, and I think Miami will be an important tournament for him. He's been to the semis here in 2019. Um, So I think he can do well there, and he's tended to do well now at the Masters Series tournaments. And obviously, I'm also keeping an eye out for Stefano Tsitsipas because he's Clearly not fit, but he's just sort of getting ready for the clay, clay season. That's where I sort of expect more results from him, Monte Carlo. Well, he's still he's still a little concerned about his shoulder. I heard him talking. I suppose to him today, where he feels the shoulder's getting better. He probably he might have been better off not playing it. I think so. well. Yeah. I mean, he, I was surprised. He, that he played. Huh? Especially, I was surprised that he played because the press conference he gave. Yeah. You know, he, he was like. It was very strange. Like, why are, you, why are you even playing? And then in the match against Thompson, he was going to the slice backhand over and over. Yeah. Oh, no. He, he was not himself. That, yeah, it was. So I hope that, I hope he is healthy. And especially because around the corners, the clay court season, we know some of the best results of his career in the last couple of seasons have been on the clay. Obviously, a couple of years ago, he's in the finals of the French and two sets up against Novak. So clay is, 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 yeah. One of the most productive, that clay court season is always productive for him, and he's been healthy, and I hope he's healthy this time around because yeah. he, uh, he he doesn't want to miss out on those on those months. He needs good, strong results off of the clay, and he won't get him if that shoulder isn't healed. So I hope if he senses there's any problem in Miami, he should just pull out. Yep. Totally agree. All right. Well, Steve, this was a great recap. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground as we tend to do in in, in the amount of time that we have. So, yeah. Uh, looking forward to Miami and yeah, enjoy it. Well, Vaj, thanks for having me on. As always, I I enjoyed it. It's a very very stimulating discussion, and you're a great observer of the game. And and we seem to agree at about ninety eight percent of of the things we talk about. Maybe higher. Maybe someday we'll find something we don't agree on, and it'll be quite <laughs> fun. That'd be fun. But anyway, yeah. thanks again. It was enjoyable. Yeah, enjoyed it. Yep. Thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate the kind words. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.